if you are self-employed, then it is on you to provide for your retirement, you know, and if you don't have that habit of saving and investing from a very early age, then you're, what are you waiting for? It's not, if you're not the person that's going to go and find that one job that you have to work at for 25 years to give you that pension to provide for you for the rest of your life, then you're probably going to, you know, open up a business or become self-employed in some way then you have to know what you're doing. And if you know that the pension and the security and that stability is not the way you're going to go, then help yourself now so that, you know, the younger self can help for your older self, right? Welcome to the Millennials and Money podcast, the podcast dedicated to encourage millennials to continue to make wise decisions with their money. We find some of the best ways to learn is through stories. So each week, your host and wealth advisor, Payne Boyer, invites a millennial guest on the show to share their money story. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. This week, I have a very special guest, estate planning attorney, Ms. Sujin Kim. Say hello, Sujin. Hello. Thank you for having me, Payton. It's a pleasure to have you on. So I'm going to allow you in a second to introduce yourself, but first, let me share how you and I met. So Sujin, we were we were members of a business um, a business owners club, a business owners um, networking group, and I was actually mm-hmm. subbing for a friend of mine, a client of mine who's a member of your of your chapter, and yeah. and I think we were, I think we were sitting next to each other when I was subbing. We were, and we just kind of kept in contact ever since. You know, I asked a lot of questions for my when it comes to estate planning for some of my clients and avoiding probate and going through the probate process. And you've always been willing to help me and help guide my clients in, in the right direction. So I, I can tell right off the bat, the way you serve your clients is like the way I serve mine. So I think it's kind of been a natural fit for us to work together. And that's as far as we go. We've been working together for about it's a little over a year now, I think. So mm-hmm. I've, I've enjoyed having you as, in my book of business as a, as a colleague. So I really appreciate knowing you. So, so now take time. Take time to introduce yourself and tell them what you do for a living and just some of what drives you. Okay, so my name is Sujin Kim. I'm a trust and probate attorney. And basically what I do is help people plan for you know what comes after. There is something that comes after if, you're, if you've passed or in the event that you're just incapacitated. And I know when, when I say estate planning, people are like, what? <laughs> But it's simply wills, trust, and probate. But a lot of people, you know, they have families or they have assets and they want to avoid probate and they want to make sure that their legacy lives even after they pass. So that's what I do. I help people plan for the future. Yeah, and, you know, that's that's great. It's great what you do. You know, so many people are not even aware of probate. And, you know, after losing a family member or a loved one, the last thing you're thinking about is how to be, how to be, how to avoid probate, and there's not much mm-hmm. you can do at that point. So it's something that you really have to be proactive about. So I really appreciate what you do. Uh, for those of our listeners who, who are not familiar with the process of probate, why don't you explain that to them for a bit? Sure. So every um, whenever someone passes, they leave what's called an estate. So it does doesn't mean like it's some grand building or you know like a chateau or something it just means everything the person owned at the time that they pass so if you have a couple and both of them pass tragically in an accident then you will have the estate of said couple and all of their assets their real estate their personal property everything that they owned at the time of death that goes into what is called an estate and the state can't legally hold on to all of your possessions. They have to go through a court-supervised process called probate to try to distribute it. So they have to figure out who's the rightful heir, who should be taking these assets, and how should how much should they take. So that's the court-supervised process. And because it is court-supervised, there are fees. Like the attorney's fees are set statutorily, so the court needs to get rid of it and they need a lot of times an attorney's assistance to help along with that process. So the family or whoever is left, they will have to also go through that court process and pay the fees and, you know, try to figure out what's the right way to distribute. So that's probate. 
Yeah, it's not is, fun. <laughs> it's definitely not fun. It's something that in many cases people are kind of smacked with. They're not even aware of what happens after someone passes. And it's something that when you're aware of it, it's so much easier to be and affordable to be proactive rather than reactive when it comes to yes. estate yes. planning. Right. And that's why someone would see someone like you. And we'll get into more about what you do here in a bit. But this is a podcast about financial success. And I've found a lot of times people's overall mindset around money are, are, are the cornerstones around our planet from a young age. That's when they kind of get set in place. They see what their parents do. They see what the older people around them do. And they kind of pick up those habits. Of course, those habits can always be changed. But I just say that's where that foundation kind of gets set. So let's talk about your childhood financially. What it was like for you growing up? I know you immigrated from Korea. So let's talk about Korea and America. Yeah. Right. So um, there's the traditional or old school Korean way of dealing with money is that you don't. It, um, the, usually it, it tends to be the patriarch or the father will go and he's the breadwinner and he provides for the family. And then the matriarch or the mom, she will handle the finances or if the father doesn't on the business end, then she does for the household. But children, when I was growing up, our job was to study because we had to, you know, my, our parents really didn't have those many opportunities to be educated. I mean, there was the Korean War and things that were very within my parents' lifetime. So for them, education wasn't necessarily an option. But for us, they wanted it to be our future. So all we had to do was study. That's literally, that was our job. We had to get those A's, get that 4.25. And <laughs> that's just, that was our job. So I didn't learn about money until I was older. And I had to do, you know, learn on my own. So now that I, I have a child, that's one of the first things that we want to, of course, like values and, you know, we have to try to teach her to be kind, but <laughs> we also have to teach her about money because that's something I didn't grow up with. And that's something I wish I would have grown up with because money was such an uncomfortable subject for a very long time. And along with that financial stability, once you're, once you've reached a certain level of financial stability, it doesn't matter if you're making 20,000 a year or 100,000 a year. Once you've reached that place of, okay, I have enough means to pay the bills and to invest in my future and to save for emergencies. Like if you have that foundation, then you're in a position where you can think of all the other things you're supposed to do, you know, as a mature adult, right? Like planning for retirement, estate planning, planning for the event that you've passed. All those things are not possible unless you have that foundation. So I didn't have it. I had to study up on it and learn it in my 20s, I want to say. And that's a little bit harder. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's so important. It's so rare that we see, especially in minority households, we see these kind of foundations mm -hmm. put in place where they're tied. Money's an uncomfortable subject. It's not comfortable for anyone yes. to talk about, especially families. Because we, when you really talk about money, you're going to talk about mistakes you've made. You're going to talk about a mistake your spouse has made, and that, that doesn't make anyone feel comfortable. But it's so important mm -hmm. in, in the long run. Like you mentioned, you had to learn these things as an adult in your 20s. And had you known some of the stuff as a, young, as a child, you would have been so much further ahead. So how old were you when you uh, immigrated over to America? I was eight. Okay. So, so... So you're the uh, the kind of traditional. You talked about the male being the bread winner, the bread uh, winner, the the wife kind of being the stay at home mom plus the um, mm -hmm. account or, or the bookkeeper accounting accountant sure. of the household. The, mm -hmm. uh, the they that's the kind of household you grew up in here and both back home in Korea. Yes. Okay. Yep. So my um, parents, because they immigrated. I mean, when you immigrate, I think your options are limited in some sense. So it's not uh, as easy for you, for immigrants to go and get a full-time job, you know, as a W-2 somewhere, because then the language barrier, it plays a role in it. So a lot of immigrants, you know, they are self-employed. They open up their own business, and that's what my parents did. And growing up, I never wanted to be 
a, a small, own a small business or be self-employed just because <laughs> I saw how difficult it was for my parents because you literally have to do everything. You have to, you know, make have this profitable business or build it up so that it's profitable, but you have to do the bookkeeping or at least know what is happening with your bookkeeping or your accounts. And there's just so much that goes into it, but you know, here I am, I have my, you know, I'm a solo practitioner with my own law practice, so. <laughs> so, so you still ended up following, following the steps that you didn't want to end up in, but you, I'm sure, so talking about what changed as you, as you traveled from adult, from a child not wanting to do that at all to the owner of Sujin uh, Kim Law Practice. So when I first went into uh, law school, I, I went in because I wanted to you know, fight for the people and bring justice where it needed to be brought. So I, I thought, oh yeah, well, actually, my father thought you would, you would, you should go and you know become a DA and fight criminals or lock them up. Like I don't know, that's, that's not exactly what they do. But you know, like when growing up, that's just what my dad thought would be a really great thing for me to do, and. It's funny the way that things have played out, but I am not a litigator. <laughs> I I like to meet clients and, you know, meet them and we're happy and I like to help people plan and I want to help people and serve people that way. But it's it's just funny how things ended up because the way that my value, I thought I hated small businesses. I thought I hated self-employment, but that's not what I hated. What I didn't like was that my parents didn't speak the language and for them, it was a disadvantage because they didn't know how to read lease terms. So they got themselves locked into awful leases, which I know now, but I didn't know then. And the things that made life difficult for my parents as business owners, it was very much because of the language barrier, but I don't have that problem anymore. So if I have to review leases and enter into contracts, I can do that because I know how to read those documents now, right? And feel comfortable negotiating. When I was younger, I was not. But it's it works for me being a solo practitioner and practicing what I practice. Because for me, it's not about making partner. For me, it's not about having the most billable hours. For me, it's about being able to spend time with my family and serve my clients. And for me to do that judiciously and do that and feel good about my work and my family, I can't do it all. So this practice allows me to work and serve my clients and to help them prepare. But also it allows me to spend time with my daughter and my husband. And as it turns out, self-employment is great for that work-life balance. <laughs> and that's awesome. That's kind of, uh, in my in my industry, we refer, they might do the same in yours, refer to that as like a lifestyle practice. Like, like mm-hmm. same as mine, mine's a, mine's a lifestyle practice. It, mm-hmm. it allows me to afford for lifestyle desire for me and my family, spending time with us, we'd be able to, we're able to travel when we want and still deliver massive value to my clients. Because I don't, I'm not yes. overwhelmed. I'm not bound to an office. I'm not bound to strict hours, and I can really just serve my clients the way I feel comfortable serving them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, lifestyle practice, I like that. Yeah, hey, you coined the term. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, so I was talking to a another estate planning attorney recently, and he, I was asking him, you know, um, why he chose estate planning, and, and it kind of sounds like why you chose it as opposed to uh, a DA, because it's the nice part of law. It's it's the the only area like where, not the only area, but it's the area that's focused on really helping people. Like, I'm not sending you to jail, I'm just here trying to help you avoid paying for it and and save more money to your beneficiaries. That's like your number one priority. Is that kind of why you chose that? Well, um, so I am very blessed to be able to practice what I practice, and it happens that I really enjoy the work, and I'm good at it, so I, it all works out, but I think I'm, a, I'm an anomaly in that sense. Like, I had the option to choose, and the reason that uh, I even thought about estate planning is because of my husband. He's been in insurance, and even when we were together, 
before I was going to law school. He had um, his own agency as an insurance agent. So sometimes he would just tell me things like, oh, you know, so-and-so is going through probate. And I didn't know what that was. And then he would ask me like, oh, you know, so-and-so went through probate. And then someone asked if you can do a trust. Like, what is a trust? I, I don't even know. Let me let me find out. So I actually started looking into estate planning for my husband's clients that he was had grown up with. And um, it just happened naturally. You know, he would ask me these questions. So I'd look it up. And after law school, I thought, well, this feels more right. Like if I can help people prepare their trusts and their estate planning, then I'm helping these people who are friends and clients of my husband's. So of course I'd want to do that for them because they've been loyal clients and friends for so long. So it was a natural progression, but it was a hard one to, it, it was hard to kind of dedicate myself or say that I'm going to do it because estate planning is not an area of law that you, you know, kids don't grow up thinking I'm <laughs> going to be an estate planning attorney. Like that's my superhero. That's my superpower. Like, yeah. You know, when children grow up and when people think about attorneys, they think like, you know, prosecutors and litigators and, you know, suits, like you think people in like fancy cars and like really nice suits right. in the courtroom and, or, you know, the closer, you think of that as an attorney when you're growing up, but then estate planning, someone has even called it the armpit of the law. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very necessary part, but not the most attractive or desirable part, I guess. <laughs> but for me, it just made sense because my husband has, he's, uh, serve so many clients and he's helped so many people with their insurance and help them protect their assets the best insurance can. But for life outside of insurance, you know, people need more help. So thinking about that, I started helping a couple of his clients and then it just felt right to help those who have helped us and to also pay it forward. So for me, it, all the pieces just kind of fit and it just made sense that of course this is the area of law that I would practice. And yeah, it's it's been, it was hard to get there, but once I got there, it just all made sense. And now it's just, yeah, it, it all works. Yeah, no, I'm glad it's like, like you said, you love serving. It's a perfect fit being seen as what your husband does. You can kind of help, he can, he can help his clients on his end, then you can help him on the back end as well. It's kind of a natural fit mm -hmm. for you. Like you said, you, you are truly blessed. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm glad you shared that. And uh, for our listeners, many people don't understand, don't know that when attorney, when um, someone graduates law school and passes the bar bar exam, they can practice any kind of law they they want. Yes. And you know, as as business professionals in my industry and other industries, you know, they are they always driving home like the niche focus or the niche focus. Find that area yes. and stay in your lane. And and you've done a great job as that as that because it must have been tempting just to kind of step outside your lane. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm big on being an a, a inch wide and a mile deep. So knowing that, <laughs> that, 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 that area very well. So that's awesome. Yeah. We shared that. We're going to pause here to hear work from our sponsors and we'll hop right back to it. Hey, what's going on, guys? It's your host and wealth advisor with Homes Financial, Peyton Boyer. You know, many times what I do for my client is help them secure the peace of mind of knowing they have enough. You know, as millennials, it's easy to feel like we don't have enough. Enough to secure the financial future we're hoping for and also enjoy our lives now. But that's why one thing I do with all of my clients is what I like to call a money purpose plan. And make sure that their current spending is aligned with what's most important to them. That way they're able to enjoy their life now while they track towards their financial goals. If you're interested in securing your money purpose plan, please reach out to me. You can contact me at my phone, 916-271-1974, or email me at Payton, that's P-A-Y-T-O-N at Holmes, H-O-L-M-E-S, Finn, F-I-N, dot com. I look forward to hearing from you. Let's get back to this. Okay, guys, welcome back to Millennials and Money Podcast. I'm here with attorney Sujin Kim. And we are hearing her money story. We're, we're deep into it now. I'm sure you guys are enjoying the show. So um, let, let's talk a bit here, Sujin. Um, let's, I'm, you, you've done such a great job, you know, coming coming here from Korea at age eight, 
um, seeing your, your parents own a business, seeing the ups and downs there, and you're not sure if you want to own a business, but then realizing, you know, it wasn't the, the fact of owning a business that you didn't like, it was the language barrier that they struggled with, which you weren't comfortable with. So let's, um, being you today, I know you're a lot more successful than you were when you might have first got out of law school or first began on this track. So let's let's see if you had, let's pretend you had a time machine. You go back in time and talk to some people, talk to yourself ten years ago. What are some things you tell yourself financially to kind of make sure you stay the course and keep keep making the right decisions financially and stay on track? What are some words of wisdom you share with your younger self? with my younger self is to uh, save and to invest because life, life is hard, right? Like, um, especially when you're going through law school and when you're going through that kind of education, that becomes your priority and you lose sight of everything else. But what I want the younger people to remember is that there is life outside of law school. There is life after law school before, during, and after, there still is life. It's just you're not focused on it. But if you stay focused, and people in law school, law students, attorneys tend to be those personalities that are very focused and that are very driven. So of course, they're going to prioritize law school and their practice. But if you don't, it's, it's little habits that basically form us, right? That we're all made up of small habits. If you get into habit of actually saving even $100 or $200, you know, like when you open checking accounts, you have to automatically transfer to savings to get the free checking account. Don't transfer the money back. Like, let's just start there. <laughs> I would I would tell my younger self, stop transferring the money back. You know, <laughs> I only transferred $25 or $100, but I would always transfer it back because I always felt like I needed that money back just in case. But no, let's just get into the habit of saving our money and of investing our money for life after whatever it is we're pursuing. If it is law school, you will end up with debt most likely you will end up with some kind of debt. But if you've already gotten into the practice and you keep up the practice of saving your money, however small it is, and investing your money, then those habits will stay with you and it'll help you with life after law school. So for any anyone who will listen, save, invest, talk to a financial advisor, even if you don't think, if you're very young, then ask your parents if they have a financial advisor and talk to them if you don't have you know, your own assets. But at least start small and start saving into those accounts because after you're done with law school, once you start making money, once you, you know, open up your own practice or you go into a law firm, if you have that foundation, then it's just gonna be so much easier for you to say, I used to save $100, but now I'm making, I don't know, $50,000 more. So I will put away more money, but it'll, you have to start small, but you have to keep it up because there is life after law school. There is, uh, I promise. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't seem like it, but there is. No, that, that's huge. You know, save and invest. It's just simple as that. Just save something. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I tell my, so someone asked me, like, if you could just share some quick financial wisdom, like in two seconds, what would you say? I'd say, Earn more than you spend and save something. It's such an easy habit to start. It's just saving money, but it's also just as easy to stop and to pull that money out of the savings. But to build those habits, like you said, it's, life is just a series of habits that we build. That's mm -hmm. what we end up becoming. You know, I work with so many uh, uh, other attorneys who own law firms, and these guys haven't done anything to plan for retirement, and they're they're into their up into their fifties at this point mm -hmm. because they never built that habit of saving. If you have a hundred thousand coming in every year, or two hundred thousand coming in every year, and you're spending two hundred and one thousand, then then it's <laughs> <laughs> but it happens all the time, and I and I'm so glad you shared that, especially being an attorney, because so many people get out of law school, or get out of college, and own a business like, oh, I made it, I you know I'm not gonna have to save, you know, this is my baby, this is my retirement, but they don't realize, no, maybe I don't want to practice law forever. <laughs> Maybe I'd like to eventually be able to retire. Yeah. But if your business and the the downside of um, lifestyle practices, it's usually just us. Yeah. So if we don't plan for retirement, we're not going to be drawing income off this business anymore. 
if we ever plan to retire. So we, it's important that we set assets aside and start putting saving and investing that money to work for us. So when the time comes for us to shut our doors permanently, we're still able to keep up the lifestyle that we've come accustomed to and that we deserve after a long time of a long career. Yeah, and I think it's even uh, more important than ever for everyone to start building those habits, especially our young generation, because it's not it's not what it used to be. Work isn't what it used to be. Before it was Monday to Friday, eight to five, you would go into some business. You're, a, of course, a W-2 salary employee and you get a 401k and you work there for 25 years or 30 years and then you get your pension and then you live off of your pension. Like that's what the generation ahead of us could live on. But that's not our, that's not an option for many of us. One, most companies don't operate that way. Pensions went away, you know, they got substituted with 401ks or whatnot. I think there were adjustments, but it's not for everybody that they can work somewhere 25 to 30 years now and live off a pension after that. Pensions don't exist for us. 401k matches are even hard to come by, even at big companies. And especially if we're in a state where, you know, people make a living doing the things that they are passionate about now. It's not like old school. It's this new school is find your passion and then do that whether that's making you know, videos on YouTube or you know, recording podcasts or opening up your own Etsy shop. There are so many other avenues that our future generations will have to explore and find for themselves. But just because of that, it is so much more important for them to get into a healthy financial foundation early because if you are working for yourself, if you are self-employed, then it is on you to provide for your retirement, you know, and if you don't have that habit of saving and investing from a very early age, then you're, what are you waiting for? It's not, if you're not the person that's going to go and find that one job that you have to work at for 25 years to give you that pension to provide for you for the rest of your life, then you're probably going to, you know, open up a business or become self-employed in some way, then you have to know what you're doing. And if you know that the pension and the security and that stability is not the way you're going to go, then help yourself now so that, you know, the younger self can help for your older self, right? Like, so it just seems to make sense. Like, that's what I keep telling. So my daughter is three, she's almost four, but I keep telling her about you know, finances, <laughs> like we go to Target. I mean, not that we really go right now because pandemic, but when we did, she would always want a toy. And I tell her, no, we can't just buy a toy every time we go to the store. That money you should put into your savings account and, you know, put in your piggy bank. That's how you save money. Then you can save money and then later on buy yourself something you'd like. And I know she's three and I know it, you know, goes over her head, but I think it's important for me to set that tone so that if later on she does whatever she wants to do, then at least she has the habit of saving and investing. Yeah, no, you definitely unpacked a lot of valuable information there. It was a lot, but it, you know, it was a lot, but it, it was all great. You know, like I said, for our predecessors, yeah, the, for, the pension was there to provide for them. That's gone. And, and even the ones that are, they've been, reduced and they still can't be promised of what they are what they are today it will be tomorrow so mm -hmm. you can't count on that to provide for you the life that you want to live in and the other thing is well people are living so much longer than they have in the past mm -hmm. so they you have to be you have to plan for yourself you have to plan to have money that, that you're going to outlast because there's chances are that you that um that i mean money that's going to outlast you because if you don't chances are you're going to outlast it and that's not comfortable for anyone. Then you become a, a burden to the ones you're supposed to be blessing, which are your children mm -hmm. or the people who are around you who are going to be forced to change their lifestyle to provide for you. The other thing is the 401k. The 401k, I say, is the easiest place to save money. It's kind of, you don't have to do anything. It's out of sight, out of mind. Mm -hmm. It comes out to your pay before you even see the money, before yeah. it goes in that 401k and it starts working for you. And I, and I, and I like that so much, but so many people don't, invest they don't they don't even they, they they feel the money's better in their hand 
And it, and that's that's the thing things you're teaching your child, your son, your daughter right now. You're teaching her the the uh, to put off now for something later. And that's what mm-hmm. as adults we still need to t- continue to teach ourselves. Like, <laughs> okay, I could take a hundred percent of my uh, my net income home, but you know what? I want to be able to retire one day. They they put six percent of it away. Let me just get the match, get the free mat, the free the free return on that, and put mm-hmm. that somewhere. And just just teach yourself that. So I'm, I really appreciate you sharing that. I love what you're doing with your daughter and teaching these things at four years old. She's not gonna be able to say the same thing you said about money. <laughs> not gonna be able to say money wasn't talked about in her household, so she won't have that excuse. Right, <laughs> right. And you know, I talk about money with my clients too. Just, so I kind of, I don't know. For me, I am a true advocate of that. If you know, then you know, right? Like yeah. we can. I think all of us. We would tell our younger selves, just save a little more. Or we're telling ourselves now, we should save more for later. But even with my clients, when, you know, so when I do the intake process, I have to know what kind of assets they have. And when I go through the assets, it might be uncomfortable for some estate planning attorneys, or they might think it's irrelevant. But I go through, you know, your debts and then your, your assets. But a lot of people just think like, oh, I'm going to leave them the house, so it's fine. Well, yes, your house is very nice and it's valued at, you know, $700,000, but you carry a $500,000 mortgage on it. So, so technically, for, so for the, for the listeners who are not in California, $700,000 is not out of, out of sight price for a house in California. So yeah, it's you know, especially and, in El Dorado Hills where you are. So, mm-hmm. so but, the average, I mean, you can easily have a house in this area, Folsom, El Dorado Hills, Sacramento, from four hundred to eight hundred thousand, right? Like that's, and those are they're nice homes. But, but when you say I'm just going to leave them the house, they can split it up. Well, no, what you're leaving is the equity in it. You're if you have a seven hundred thousand dollar house, but you have a five hundred thousand dollar mortgage then you're only leaving your children 200000 So how are the children supposed to pay for the mortgage? So I don't know. I don't. For me, because my clients feel like friends, I tell them like, listen, you have, you have a lot of assets, but you also have a lot of debt. So if you were to pass both of you right now, then you're, some people are kind of close to leaving close to nothing. And, and some people only leave, you know, they think, oh, we have a million dollar estate. So that's what we're going to leave our kids. But they don't realize the debt that they carry. So they might only be leaving two or 300,000 when in their minds, you know, they have a million dollar estate. So I talk to my clients about that too. Like, okay, you guys have to talk to a financial advisor because you think you're leaving a million dollars. You're technically only leaving 400,000. Which is still a lot of money, but I don't know if that's what you want to leave your children. If you think that's enough for them to live the lifestyle that they've lived, you know, in your absence. So yeah. I, I talk about money with everybody. <laughs> and it's so important that you that, that you're building these habits and telling and telling your clients this thing. You like I said, you got to see your clients as a friend, and mm-hmm. it's our job as professionals in this field to to just tell them what they need to hear. Okay. Whether they whether they act on our advice or not, that's not our that's not our that's not on us. It's our we you just can't say well why didn't you tell me? That's mm-hmm. what I tell my clients. I have these conversations about long term care insurance or disability insurance, and they're not fun conversations. But it's my job to have to to have these conversations with my clients, so I have the peace of mind knowing I can sleep at night because I told them what I felt they needed to hear. Mm-hmm. Whether they implement the advice or not, that's not on me. So, so Sujin, you know, this has been an a, a interesting year, uh, to, to, <laughs> to, to say the least. A very interesting year with all that's gone on in the country, with the coronavirus that we're still in the midst of, with the election that we are. St- I know in Colorado Hills, they, they're still in the midst of the election because I drove through there the other day and I saw some. <laughs> so, I so, so, so I saw some people who. Who still think that? Um, still think I don't want to get into too political. I don't want to get political here. Yeah. But you guys are still in the midst of an election over there in Colorado Hills. We are. Yes. So, so um, you know, there's so much going on in this country, especially with the virus, and it's so easy to get a sense of uncertainty, and it's really tough to maintain the sense of certainty. 
So Sujin, what are some things that you've done to maintain a sense of certainty and keep pressing through this year of 2020? Uh, I think this year has shown more than ever that how important it is to have those healthy habits. <laughs> and it's it's been a struggle for me too, because my uh, daughter, she used to go to daycare and now she doesn't. So we're, we have you know, mommy daycare at home now, which is not what I expected. I didn't think 2020 would be this way, but if there is a silver lining, it's just the habits that I can lean back on because it's hard to it's it's hard to make sense of things right now and it's hard not to be just sad about things because there's just so much so much happening but it's those little habits of okay well you know I have to go to sleep <laughs> and I have to you know meditate <laughs> or some people call it prayer and I have to do these things that I know keeps me you know going so for me it's habits like making time to take care of myself making time to make sure that my husband and I are you know still communicating and like all of that it just goes back to okay well what is happening I don't know what's happening but no matter what's happening I'm still gonna you know save my money <laughs> I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's going to happen, but I still have to, you know, at least go for a walk. Come on. I have to exercise. <laughs> Let's get those endorphins going. So it, more than ever, I feel like 2020 has taught me. It's all about those habits that you hold yourself true to. And also it's those relationships that you took for granted in order for you to be able to, you know, reach out you have to be in a good place, right? To check on your friends, you have to be in a good place to be able to call someone and say, hey, how are you doing? So for me, it's been a lot of self-reflection, but so, so important that my husband and I are now, I don't know, strangely enough, more financially sound in the sense that we actually talk about, we talked about it during this pandemic. Like, oh my goodness, things like this can happen. A pandemic can actually happen in our lifetime and it may happen again. And if so, then how are we going to pivot? Because we're both self-employed. So for us, it was a lot of strategy that we finally got to discuss. And we're on the same page for the first time in a very long time, I feel like. Because when you're busy and you're um, just you know working day to day, you don't have time to talk about the big picture and what your plans are and that kind of strategy. But we were home a lot, so we talked about it. And I'm really grateful that we had this opportunity because now I feel like we have a plan and we stuck to the plan and now we have more plans, which I, I don't think we would have been able to do before. No, yeah, uh, that was an awesome answer. That was an awesome answer. And uh, I'm gonna try to sum it up here. Um, you know, you know. You, earlier, you said that your life is a series of habits. That your what your life is just a series of, series of habits. And then now you're talking about throughout this year how you've been able to stay focused and to stay certain these uncertain times because you've kept those habits, the habits of getting those endorphins flowing. You know, going outside, exercising, going going on a walk, spending time with your family, spending time with your husband. And these are things. Some of these habits, like this, these are things that they they take intent. They're not just going to make themselves happen. So you have to be intentional mm -hmm. about building those habits that you also said that they create the best you. You didn't use those words, but putting your best you forward. And to be that, that best you, you have to take care of yourself. You have to make mm -hmm. sure that you're happy, make sure that you're in a good place to be a good, a good advisor to your clients. So I really appreciate you sharing that. So I got, um, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, one more thing. I think for all the listeners, if they are, you know, the, the younger generation or people who are our age trying to figure life out, um, I really think this is a good opportunity for them to do the same kind of self-reflection. So I know like a lot of people grow up thinking, I want to be an attorney for whatever reason. You know, they, they've always wanted to, they always thought they would be good at it. It looked cool on TV. Their parents are attorneys. Whatever it is, people grow up wanting to go into this profession. And it's not as glamorous as 
we think or our younger selves think. Whether you go into big law or to medium-sized firm or solo practice, being an attorney is, is difficult. Being an attorney, because, well, if you want to be an attorney that is still a good person and a fun person to be around and a pleasant person, then it's difficult, I think, because it's one of those uh, professions where you just have to focus and just be in this zone. But for a lot of people who always thought they wanted to be an attorney, like you should really think about that. Do you want to be an attorney? Why do you want to be an attorney? If the answer is because my parents said so, then oh, that's so the wrong answer. That's a lot of stress and a lot of money for someone else's thoughts or ideas on what you should become. When people ask me now, you know, do you love being an attorney? Well, yes, I do. But I know a lot of attorneys who are not happy being attorneys or who stop being attorneys or who have career changes. So for me, I'm just blessed that it wasn't the most traditional path, but I figured out my myself first and then I figured out my path. And then being an attorney and practicing in this way, it all just fit into that journey. But for a lot of other people, that's not how it is because for a lot of other people they don't have the luxury of being able to become a solo practitioner i i see that as a luxury now because my family isn't relying on my income at a certain level but if you're a practicing attorney and you're working at a firm you're making some kind of income and then your family begins to depend on that income but because of that you know you might not be practicing the area of law you want, or you might not be practicing the amount that you want. But I think those are all important things for everyone to consider, but especially those people who are considering law school or in law school, you really have to think like, okay, where is my path? If it is going to this kind of firm, am I really going to be able to commit to working those hours and still being happy and not getting burnt out? Because most people will get burnt out. If you are able to become a solo practice, I mean, it's nice in the sense that you don't have billable hours, but whatever you don't, whatever business you don't bring in, you don't make. <laughs> so you have to think about, <clears throat> excuse me, all those things. But I think it's really important for everyone to think because law school is not cheap. You, a lot of people walk out with a lot of debt and a lot of people have to continue to practice because they're trying to pay off that debt. But you could see how that could be a not so fun life if you're just getting into debt for the sake of getting into debt and then working just for the sake of paying off that debt. No, that, that was a lot you said, man. That was awesome, man. It's so important. Sorry, just... no, don't worry. It's so important that I appreciate you saying all that. It's so important that our listeners and the people in general, they can first consider the why, like the driving factor behind their decisions, both financially and career-wise. What's the driving factor? It can't be just to make more money. It can't be just to impress somebody or to, to make your parents happy. It's got, there's got to be more to it than that. And really assess that why and figure out why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. And even if it is for the income, so why do you need the income? What's the income going to provide for you? What what's the real because because it's a huge commitment, mm -hmm. and so many people go to school just because it's what they what they feel they're supposed to do, and they and they take out all this debt and they get out there and they end up living a lifestyle that they're not happy with. Mm -hmm. So I really appreciate you sharing that. So I got two more questions here before we wrap it up. You talked about the the, the especially the young kids going to law school who are first consider why and why you want to do this, and then after you go to law school, why do you want to practice this kind of law? So the, the, what about the ones who have asked that why? And they figure out what they want to do. They, they, they said, I'm going to law school. They said, I'm becoming lawyers. They might have already passed the bar exam. What are some things, words of wisdom you tell them, like, to shape their career now? After, after law school, you know, they're lawyers. They're, 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 they can legally practice. They passed the bar at this point. They can legally practice law. What are some things you share with them on just the ups and downs of this career, how to be prepared? And just some just some wisdom, some something you wish someone would have shared with you. For you know, newly admitted attorneys, I think most of them know where they're going. 
So by the time you've passed the bar, you've probably already had a, you know, an internship or you were a clerk somewhere and now you get to practice as an attorney. And for some people, for most attorneys, I think that's how it is. You kind of have to figure out everything before you pass the bar because for you to if for example if you're going to go into a mid-sized firm or a big law there's there's no way that you just pass the bar and then you just go and apply for those positions you've already had an internship you've already had experience at those at that firm or a similar firm so you know you're down that path but i think for attorneys generally because it is a profession that requires such critical and special thinking, we sometimes lose the human element. Like I know a lot of attorneys, <clears throat> excuse me, who when they were going through law school, things were hard. Things are really hard because you're you're basically trying to learn how to argue, right? That's the whole point of law school. You're trying to articulate a certain argument and sometimes you don't even get to pick, but there's side A, there's side B, and you have to be an adversary and fight to make sure that your side is the one that ultimately wins. But in order for you to think like that, it takes all the human out of it. And what you have to do is just memorize this law and just articulate it the best you can. And when you're in that state of mind, you're not a very fun person to the average person, like to your family or to your dog or something. You're probably not. People going through law school, they tend to like lawyer or, you know, practice the courtroom talk in our home. And that makes everybody miserable. <laughs> I gotta, gotta stop you there. I can contest to that, you know, as my wife goes through law school, as we're recording this interview, <laughs> so I can attest that I don't win very many arguments. <laughs> right? I mean, there's just... While they're, and I tell people, you know, whose family members are going through law school, well, just don't expect on winning any arguments because they're being trained to do this thing. They're being trained to argue. They're being trained to fight. So don't even try to win that argument, even if you know you're right, because they're just in the zone and that's how they should be. But for so many people, they go into law school thinking, not many people go in because they just feel like they belong in the courtroom and they just want to litigate. A lot of people go into law because they want to help people and they want to serve, but they don't exactly know that. But that is where it begins. It's not because I want to look good in this suit and I want to win this closing argument. Like It's not that. But if your intent is to serve, then you have to remember that the people that you're serving are people and the people that you're serving, they're best served when they're talked to like people and treated and respect like people. So before law school, great people, very friendly and fun. During law school, they're just, they don't have any of that human element. They're just machines trying to learn how to argue. And after law school, you kind of have to figure out that's when you realize like, oh yes, there was life outside of law school and there is life after law school. <laughs> and there are all these people whom I have to serve and speak with and advise and just build relationship with. But people are always there. The human element is always there. It's just that you weren't focused on it. So for newly admitted attorneys, humility goes a long way. Because before you passed that bar and before you got that license, you were just a normal person like everyone else. But for some reason, once you pass the bar and you get that license, you think, oh, I'm this great person. No, you're not. We're all great people. Everyone is great. We're all same people. But it's just that you work for something for so long and you didn't do anything and you sacrificed so much. So then it feels like, this huge accomplishment, which it is, but you know, me passing the bar and becoming an attorney is just as good as accomplishment as someone who graduated college, you know, the first one in their family, or for my daughter who's going to graduate kindergarten. For her, it was that big, and for me, it was that big. So I think I just really want to implore all newly admitted attorneys to just remember the human element and to remember that humility goes a long way 
And ultimately, the whole point of being a lawyer is to be an advocate for people. So you can't lose that human element. And if you've lost it, and a lot of people do, but if you lost it during law school, get it back. <laughs> you know, you can always just start again, build those small habits where you practice gratitude, where you are kind to others, and you speak words of gratitude, and you are humble, and you know, that will take you a long way. And that was awesome. So just kind of sum it up. It's one, sum it up in one word, it's humility. And keep that human element, even though it's kind of pushed to the back throughout law school, go back and find that human element you have inside mm -hmm. of you. Bring it back out, because that's who you're there to represent, is the human, the people. Mm -hmm. And that's, who, that's what's going to resonate with your client. And that's how, how you're going to do your best work. So this is the end of the podcast, Sujay. Now, this is a podcast about financial success. So I know the words financial success mean different things to different people. They mean different things to the same people at different times. So, but Sujin Kim, Sujin Kim today, 2020, what does the words financial success mean to you? Um, financial stability is success to me. Um, knowing that you're not, um, you know, knowing that you have certain freedoms and knowing that you have certain luxuries in life because you've taken care of the basics, that's, that to me, you know, that's worth so much more. <laughs> no, that's awesome. It's stability, being able to just provide for your, your modest lifestyle and know that it's taken care of. Not have to worry about what, how this bill is getting paid or that bill is getting paid. Just that peace of mind that comes with that. That's what financial success means to you. And I think that's an awesome answer. This is the end of the podcast, guys. I thank you so much for listening. We talked about probate, and so this might be something that might not have been on any of your, any of you guys' radar in the past. But if it's on your radar now, and you'd like to reach out to Sujin, I'll leave her contact information in the show notes, and I'm sure she'd love to take your phone call. But I hope you guys enjoyed the show. I hope you guys found it valuable, and have a blessed week. Congratulations, guys! You've officially made it to the disclosure portion of the show. I'm an investment advisor representative of securities offered through Bertha Fisher & Company, Financial Services, Inc., BFCFS member FINRAS-SIPC. Holmes Financial is independent of BFCFS. Thanks and have a blessed week.